0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We're going to call the City Council's budget session to order. Madam Clerk, if you would uh, provide the evacuation announcement. Yes, Madam President. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the, the Please use the door. Do not use the elevators or the escalator. when exit in the building. Use
1: the east west stairway outside the rear doors of the building. After exiting the building, proceed
0: to the seminary area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay 8th and 9th Street. Citizens and employees should assist visually and hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Council members, we have an ambitious uh, agenda for today. We have eight presentations and so. What I'd like to ask is after the presentation, if you would, uh, if you have two to three top questions, we could uh, pose those. If we have response immediately, that's fine. If not, staff will take those questions and uh, get that information back to us. And so we'll start with the Department of Public Works as our first presentation.
2: Good morning, Mr. Vincent. Good morning, Council. Bobby Vincent, Director of Public Works. Hopefully everyone had a good weekend.
0: Yes, we did, and yourself? Mm
2: -hmm. No, ma'am, I was working for you all, so. Well,
0: this is (laughs) it, sir, and we appreciate that, thank you very much.
2: (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, Prior to us getting involved with regards to the spreadsheet, um, I did want to do a a, um, brief summary for the Department of Public Works. Our mission statement is to provide a clean, safe, and healthy environment. And we're making every effort to accomplish our mission through the following. Um, We're looking at efficient budget management, efficient use of resources, and efficient best management practices. The Department of Public Works is in fact an accredited agency, accredited by the American Public Works um, Association, um, which is a national organization for public works um, agencies. Um, Looking at our three major areas, we have operations, we have facilities and special capital projects, and we have engineering, um, which includes a a host of responsibilities um, throughout our city. Um, Looking at our department needs and challenges challenges that this budget is attempting to make strides towards. Um, Looking at our human resources, we have reduced the number of vacancies that we have, in fact, had over, over the years. However, we still have a deficit. Looking at equipment resources, our fleet is still aging even though we've been able to make some great strides with regards to purchasing. And last but not least, our aging infrastructure with regards to streets, alleys, bridge, sidewalks, and curb and gutter. Um, In closing with this brief um, opening, um, this budget provides the Department of Public Works with the best afforded opportunity to provide to our citizens, our sister government agencies, and this council the best services that we can provide. Services that will make our streets safer through paving, sidewalk repairs, and Vision Zero initiatives. It will make our communities cleaner through timely trash removal, bulk and brush collections, and street cleaning effort. And last but not least, it will make our public right-of-way more beautiful through the timely mowing of medians, the grading of alleys, and the pruning, planting, and removal of trees within our urban tree canopy. Fiscal year 19 was a good year for the Department of Public Works as well as the City of Richmond. But fiscal year 20, through all of us working together, will certainly be better. Um, At this point in time, I'm looking at the spreadsheet that is, in fact, before you. Um, You do have several items that you have highlighted uh, with regards to questions for us. Um, I will make every attempt possible to answer those questions. And Madam President, as you indicated earlier, if we do not have the answer readily available for you, that is something that we can um, provide to you um, as soon as possible um, after this presentation, um, uh, the first question, personnel, um, uh, includes the funding for all field positions, approximately $1.5 million for vacant positions, rate adjustments for health care as well as retirement. The personnel budget also includes a 3% salary increase for employees. The department total staffing has increased. Um, The increase is due to the transfer of of various um, positions within there and I believe you all have the the answers to these questions in front of you. So I'm not going to bore you by going question by question. Uh, We are all very highly intelligent people and I'm sure you have either read it or not, um, they are in fact before you. Um, So at this point in time, I would like to open up the floor for any questions. Um, and or comments as it relates to the budget that is before you for the Department of Public Works.
0: Council members, Ms. Gray.
3: So-
2: Good morning.
0: Good morning,
3: how are you? I'm wonderful. Good. Um, My question is around vacancy funding because we did augment the budget in the current year, 2019, for that vacancy funding, and as I tracked Last year you had roughly 80 vacancies, and now you're up to 92. So, and you're asking for more funding to fill vacancies, but it looks like the numbers are going up, not down. So, they're going in the wrong direction. So, why would we give more money if the vacancies that we funded in the current budget aren't getting filled?
2: Many of the vacancies were, in fact, filled. Um, however, we do have an extremely high turnover, particularly in the solid waste division, um, where we have been hiring uh, the refuge collector position, which is one of our highest turnover um, positions. So we bring people in, and people unfortunately wind up leaving um, because of the low salaries there within that particular for that particular job function. Um, we've also have increased um, some um, positions with regards to the three FTEs. Um, That were added um, with regards to the sustainability um, initiative.
3: So are there numbers on the number of hires in the year and the number of folks who've terminated employment?
2: We can certainly provide you with that information.
3: Okay. We can provide you
2: with um, and making sure the staff has a a clear understanding of what the councilwoman is asking for, um, the difference between what we brought in this year and the difference between what we've lost, we can certainly provide yeah, you with and that.
3: what we consider to be a competitive wage for those individuals because the cost of bringing them in, onboarding, training, and then if they're turning over faster than we can bring them in, then that's costing us a lot of money.
2: Yes, ma'am, I would agree. And one thing that I can say is that the job study that was just completed, um, uh, the Solid Waste Division was one of the divisions that was the most highly impacted in a favorable uh, way. Um, so that is giving us the um, some of the leverage that we need in order to sustain um, our employee pool. Okay, thank you.
0: Welcome. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Jones. Any questions?
2: Yes, ma'am.
4: Thank you, Madam President. Uh, protocol already being established. Um, Mr. Benson, fifty-one percent increase or change in refuse.
2: Can, can you tell me about that, please? Um, my apologies, sir. I couldn't hear the question.
4: Uh, 51% increase on your line item for refuse? Yes,
2: sir. Yes, sir. Can you talk about that, please? Increase for? Under solid waste management? Yes, sir. One thing that we're looking at with regards to the solid waste management is the cost of the contract. Um, The cost of the contract did, in fact, increase, but as you look at The other solid waste management line items, they went down. So it was a matter of some items being charged um, to one line item versus the other. So if you look at the line item underneath that, it went down by 78%. Even though that refuge line item went up by 51%, it's just simply right-sizing our line item for our budget.
0: Okay. Okay. Miss Larson, uh, we are reviewing Department of Public Works, and give you a moment. May any questions? Okay. Okay.
3: Ms. Gray, I do have a um, couple of follow-up questions. Um, so I know the last time we had quite an exchange about the two point two, which you have no actual control over where or whether that comes. But do you know whether or not that is going to be brought forward uh, via budget amendment to be moved sooner or, as it appears here, that it's still going to be moved in the upcoming budget, July 1. And if that's the case, I don't understand because the paving schedule, if I'm correct, begins April and ends roughly in October. So if money is moved July 1, and then you have to go out and procure contracts on that money, Mm -hmm. it could be several months later before you actually get shovels in the ground. And by then it's September, October already, and you're at the end of your paving cycle. So it kind of defeats the purpose of putting that money forward to get jobs done quickly.
2: Right. Well, one, one part of it is that um, that you did indicate is that that's something that's not totally within the budget of the Department of Public Works. However, I do want to make one comment, and that is uh, we're currently working now with regards to paving. We just started uh, with regards to uh, the paving of Laburnum Avenue, and we're also going to be doing some paving in some neighborhoods. Um, and the paving on Laburnum actually began last week. We're also looking at doing some paving on Huguenot Road. So one of the... Um, processes with regards to paving is trying to get out as much at one time because that's when we get a better price. uh, With regard, we get more bang for the buck. So when we just put out paving projects for uh, one neighborhood and or one or two streets at a time, um, our bids tend to come in higher than when we put out several lane miles at one time. So um, in looking at um, the proposed uh, budget from, from the mayor and the administration, it will help us to hopefully sustain Um, bids that are lower where we would be able to put in um, well over 200 miles of paving um, in one fiscal year, which would be um, a record amount amount of paving that we have, in fact, accomplished uh, within a fiscal year. So I know that it is, in fact, aggressive, but as a part of that is planning. Um, If we did, in fact, have the money today, I would still have to plan for it, and planning for it in small increments would be more difficult than planning for it with regards to large incremental funding.
3: So what do you consider small and what do you consider a large amount? Um, and, I, a, and, and the Laburnum, I'm sorry, is, is that state smart scale?
2: Yes, ma'am. That's some of that funding. and we also Not doing local. Some, that's correct. And we're also utilizing other funding for our neighborhoods. Um, that's a continuation from uh, rollover spending of funds um, from last year. So your question with regards to what do I consider small or what do I consider large, I consider multiple projects within a package. Um, Keeping a contractor here for a long period of time would be something that is large, something that is needed in order to make the bid package um, more attractive for them. Um, The more that we can keep them here and the less mobility that they have to to do, um, that's when we get our best rates.
3: So is that... Is there an equivalent to what that is in dollar amount or lane mile?
2: Yes, ma'am. Looking at um, roughly $15 million would get us about 230 lane miles of paving this year. And that would be each each neighborhood that we pave um, is normally in about five to six lane mile increments. The major thoroughfares that we pave are normally in about three lane mile increments. So uh, we'll be able to cover a large portion of the city. Um, throughout all nine council districts and neighborhoods, throughout all nine, um, and just working with the administration to make sure that we prioritize accordingly based on PCI rating, based upon uh, wherever my sister agency of the Department of Public Utilities is, is scheduled to do work, as well as special events and um, any economic development projects.
3: So, just, I'm not yes. that quick with how much 15 million and that many lane miles. So, how much? Per lane mile, are we spending? The Probably. cost per
2: lane mile varies um, anywhere from sixty to about eighty-five dollars per lane mile. Um, so when we look at the way that we pave, is based upon square yardage. Um, so that's how our contractors our uh, our contracts are bidded. and so we normally um, receive for major arterials where we're doing milling and overlaying. That's about fifteen dollars, fourteen dollars um, per um, square yard. And when we do our local streets, that's about um, eight dollars. Um, per square yard. So the equivalent as you go throughout the project equates to lane miles. And a lane mile is the equivalent of um, 5,280 feet times uh, roughly, I believe it's um, 11 feet in terms of lane width.
0: Okay, thank you.
2: You're more than welcome. Thank you.
0: Ms. Larson. Good
2: morning.
5: morning. Um, Just a follow-up to something you just mentioned about um, some current paving projects. Yes, ma'am. Where can we go to find what is slated to be done this spring? Is it on the website?
2: No, but that is something that we can't put on the website with regards to those projects. We tend to send those projects out um, via press release um, Mm -hmm. because some of our projects that we put out there six months or a year in advance, we run into issues in terms of doing that because we don't want to raise the expectations of the citizens only to have a utility project or something else happen, uh, which it, um, makes us not able to, to be able to pave that neighborhood. So we've been okay. putting them out in press releases.
5: Okay, but right now you have some things in the pipeline that you know you're going to do. You've yes, already ma'am. bid it. And you mentioned Huguenot Road. Is that part of a state state funding? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um,
2: Huguenot Road as well as LaBerno. Okay, mm-hmm.
5: and I'd like some more specifics on that. Not you don't have to give it to me now, but if you could send me an email with from where to where.
2: Certainly, will do. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Mr. Benson. If you would provide whatever information you have in terms of what's in the queue, mm-hmm. um, as Ms. Larson's acts, but certainly to um, all council members so that they'll know as best without doing the advance noting notice in such a way that you know we. Raise expectations that something else may actually get in the
2: way of. So, certainly, we certainly can.
0: Thank you. With that, Ms. Robinson, good morning. Thank you, Mr. Vincent. Thank you. Next presentation. And, members, what I shared was that we have uh, eight presentations today, which, uh, again, pretty ambitious, but certainly accomplishable. And so what I asked is that uh, after each presentation, if you would share your top two to three questions uh, with the presenter, if they can answer those uh, right here, we will uh, take those. If not, staff will get that information and get those uh, responses back to us. Good morning. Welcome.
6: Good morning, Madam President. Charles Todd, DIT. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to discuss our budget with you. As you know, DIT is an internal service organization undergirds the full work of the city. And so what we do in IT makes it possible for the agencies to achieve the mayor's goals in terms of public safety Child poverty, education, and improving city services. Much of what you see for us speaks to the transparency piece in our budget. One of the things I will point out to you there on the screen, which your staff asked about, and you'll see in the numbers, are the changes that occurred when we became an internal service fund last year. Prior to that, Much of what was done in IT was done on a net basis. So many of the figures you see there, for example, the print shop, you're seeing a net figure because the revenue in in previous years might have been applied as credits to expense lines. So one of the reasons and some of the questions you had about increases have to do with the ways that we have changed our accounting practices to make sure that 100% of expenses are shown and 100% of the recoveries because I don't think it does anyone any good from a management perspective to see net figures. I'll go straight into some of the questions you had. The first one that you asked about had to do with the line listed as telephone services with a $762,000 increase. Uh, That is due to an erroneous label on that cost center. That is cost center 2005 and that is actually our cost center for end user services. So that, uh, you probably know Bernard Hanser, who is my manager for EUS. Those are the Microsoft licenses, the work done by the help desk, and et cetera. So that is a mislabeling of that line. In the printed submission to you, I also indicated a few other corrections to the lines. We have not changed how we have used them, um, but uh, an error on my part. I, I refer to things by number. When I pull a report, I'm pulling a report on 2005. So I'm not always looking at what the descriptor is. So, again, that one is on me, and we will correct that. I did indicate in the response some things that led to that increase. The number of computers we have at present that will be five years old or older is over 800 devices. And so the amount that we have put in the budget for replacement of desktops and laptops is at a $1 million, that's about a $600,000 increase from what we had the previous year. We've added some training on that line for the EUS staff, a subscription service. Uh, We are adding to our asset management software so we know better what we have and where it is. And we're anticipating a small increase in Microsoft licenses. The Microsoft contract is three-year, this is the end of year three. So I've been locked in for the last three years, so we'll be taking uh, bids and quotes in short order for the next three-year cycle. So we're crossing our fingers that with some uh, savings on our side by reducing unused licenses, we can keep the figures close to where they have been. The next question you asked was about an increase on that line for the print shop costs. And again, we've found as we've normalized those figures to truly reflect what the expense is and the revenue, we were spending a lot more in the print shop than, than any of us realized. And paper costs have continued to go up. So the figure I've set for fiscal year 20 is an attempt to account for the paper increases and the increase in business. Just so you know, each individual agency should have in its budget the funds that it plans to pay to the print shop for printing or for postage. Everything else for IT services is done at the fund level. So general fund, DPU, parking, road maintenance, cemeteries, retirement, radio shop, there's a total of eight. They pay everything else out of those eight fund level budgets, but individual agencies do business with us uh, for the print and mail. So we have a starting set of figures, and then obviously if the agencies come to us with more business than we planned, I would have to come to you and get an amendment to spend more, even though they're giving me money netting out to zero. The other question was a question was in regards to our long-term spending plan. I won't go into detail, but I did provide that for you. It looks like about 11.8 million over the next five years is what we forecast. That averages about 2.3 million a year. Uh, I would like to see the city, if possible, sort of get off of the roller coaster of of budget, so it goes up and down. It would be nice if we could find a way to sort of budget flat and put that money into a reserve or um, some other fund so we have it when we need it so the city uh, can have a reliable figure. Because I think, for example, in, the, in 2024 when it's time to replace the telephone system again, if all of a sudden we jump to $3.5 million of equipment replacement, but the previous year we were at $2, have you have got this wobble effect. So we're going to discuss with finance and budget if there might be some options there. Um, and again, when it's time for questions, I'll be glad to ask about the equipment replacement. I've also listed for you the question, um, the answer to the question regarding our breakdown hardware, software, database, telecommunications, and consultants. And I uh, woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and realized that I had forgotten something. It came in the night. Uh, <laughs> under con- consultant fees, I should have added to the conf- consultant fees $115,000 for security consulting services. We have a supplier uh, that we work with for security-related matters, and there should be $115,000 in that consultant fees section. And then vacancies, my understanding is that the budget department gave to you by your deadline of the 12th a statement on our vacancies. We're still plagued by vacancies. It's much the story you've heard from other agencies Uh, This year, I believe I have filled eight slots so far and lost six. So we're two to the good, uh, but that still leaves me with 20 vacancies. What we're finding is we are not attracting the right candidates for positions. We post for them, and we're not getting or haven't gotten to this point candidates who had the proper qualifications or the skill level that we seek, or if they did they would not come to the city for the level of pay that we offer. I have found recently we now have four senior-level positions that I have posted in the past month, uh, the deputy director, two um, IT managers among them. I'm seeing an uptick in the level of quality that we've had before, which is a wonderful thing in those applicants. Now if we can just... Find them who will come in on our pay scale. But that has been an, an ongoing issue there. So when you look at our numbers year over year, you'll continue to see 20 positions, but it's, it's never the same 20. It seems we bring one in and, and one goes out, but that does continue to be an issue. Uh, Madam President, I'll be happy to answer any any questions or, or drill into some of the, the summary answers I gave here in the document for you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Todd. Council members, are there questions? Ms. Gray.
2: So
3: I'm a little confused. Do all IT contracts run through your department and through this budget, or do individual departments contract for consulting services and other things in addition to that?
6: There are cases you will find in which individual agencies still have IT-related matters in their budget, Um, We were not equipped the first two years of the Internal Service Fund to gather every contract in. So there still are contracts, of which we are aware, that are in the agencies. They do partner with DIT regarding the contracts and work with us through the approved purchasing process. I can give you an example, the Intergov software for the planning department. The costs for that are still within Mr. Olinger's budget. Uh, DPU has some technology items related to uh, their operations centers, things they self-support. They would still have some technology charges. Social services, their Harmony system. So there are some things like that. But overall, I would say certainly 90% of the items have found their way into DIT. The question I've asked the administration, we need to consider how much further we want to go into bringing those things into a centralized budget for is the benefit of transparency outweigh whatever benefit there had been to the past in having those separate, if that helps?
3: Yeah, I I think um, there are a couple of issues that I see with not having all IT show in one place. That's the transparency piece. And there could be duplication if there are similar Programs running, and departments are contracting out themselves for support or understood. help with those programs, and then another department is doing the same thing. Would it make more sense to have one contract that can operate and assist Correct. all departments that might be running those same soft, the same software? understood. And, with she's, similar
6: issues: to my knowledge, I am not aware of any duplication of software services, and the policy does state that when anyone in the city goes out to make an IT purchase, they are to come through the IT department. We have to give them an approval purchase form for the software that must be attached to the requisition in RAPIDS. So I know, for example, last year when the auditors did a spot audit, they're looking to see where the agencies have come through DIT. So the policy is there to help, and my understanding is that those results came out very well last year. But I, I do take your point. There are further opportunities,
3: and and then further with <laughs> respect to, for instance, the um, planning department's software. Correct. Who? I mean, are they? Are your people negotiating what? how things are being rolled out and integrating those systems or is that being done in-house within that department and then they're letting you know after the fact, are there components or things that might conflict with other systems within the city? So if it's one department out there kind of making purchases and doing things that aren't totally integrated with your department, it could cause conflict with another.
6: Correct. There is a risk there. Our mitigation for the risk is the city has, under the CAO, she has identified 10 agencies that sit on what we refer to as our IT steering committee. Any organization in the city that has an IT project, just like a purchase, is supposed to be coming through that governance process. And one of the things that we do early on, whether it's something small or something big, we look at what is the cost, what is its complexity, what is the risk of doing it or not doing it, and how does it fit into the overall architecture for the city. So in the case of the InterGov project, uh, which came to the city about the same time I did, yes, they've very much been in, in compliance with those um, and The same thing with DPU, with the work that they do, and public safety, that they all come through that process. So again, unless a department goes rogue, uh, they should be coming through, and we have w- much more control now than we did in, in years gone by. So I think it's been a success. There's still growing edges, but it's been good.
0: Thank you, Mr. Todd. Um, Ms. Trammell. Thank you, Madam President.
7: Todd, what what you like um, that are unwanted? like robocall, whatever, because I know I'm getting a lot of them, Rick's getting a lot of them, and you answer it and it goes on and on and on, then you hang up the call back.
6: Yes, ma'am. We, like other organizations, are, are plagued with the robocalls, and my personal favorite is the call spoofing. We pay to reserve every 646 number. Nobody else should have a 646 number. And uh, the miscreants out there now have found a way to um, hijack the, the information coming through your caller ID, and I get a phone call in the middle of the night, and it says six four six, and of course, that, I'm thinking, who is at work at two a? And it is a sales call. It is it is someone selling me some medical device or, or something. But um, unfortunately, we don't have options there. We work with with Verizon, our supplier. And like it, with my personal service, we would hope they would be finding ways to, to weed more of those out. But I don't have much opportunity. And, again, I know it, it is an issue. We're on call 24-7, and every, every extra phone call that's a waste is a, a, a potential for us to ignore a phone call down the line. But I understand. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Todd. Ms. Robertson.
8: Thank you, Madam President. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for the presentation. Question I have is in regards to the equipment that you mentioned, and uh, you said something about uh, the age of your equipment and also the timeline for replacement of the equipment. Yes, ma'am. In some departments where we purchase a large inventory of equipment, Previously, it has been a challenge if we purchase all things at one time um, and have to replace all things at one time. Is there a schedule of uh, equipment that you have that you know that needs to be replaced at any given time and whether or not there is an opportunity for us to look at uh, how we go about replacing those that significant capital investment into the equipment um, and leverage it over years so that we're not at a place where we're trying to do everything at one time.
6: Yes, ma'am. Uh, when it comes to the desktop computers, uh, Mr. Hanser has worked very hard to get us to a place where we should be replacing 25% of the desktops and laptops. Every year, What had happened in the past was if we got money, we replaced things. If you didn't get money, you didn't replace things, and what you described was occurring. So our goal with this year's budget is to continue our cycle of, of trying to replace 25 percent of those a year. Uh, Mr. Granat and his staff and infrastructure in this uh, spread over the next five years, we have different things coming in at different times. So we are trying to get on that staggered schedule so we don't buy everything at once and it all wears out at the same time. So we are working towards that. I have to rely uh, capital capital budgets and things like that. I have, I have not had the pleasure of uh, doing those yet, but I work closely with finance and budget to let them know what our needs are so they can advise us what is an operations expense, what other opportunities they might be.
8: Follow question. So, <clears throat> I, I realize that you're not per, you're not purchasing some of this equipment through the capital budget, but I am interested in knowing whether or not there is a lifeline on some of that equipment that could be considered as a capital expense, and if there is a schedule of major equipment replacement and when we would that sca- um, staggered uh, plan uh, with a budget that's attached that would give us some sense of what our expectation is over a period of time so that when we look at our overall budget, we would know what those expectations should be over the next whatever years you feel is reasonable for uh, replacement of your
1: equipment. Be careful, cavalry. <laughs> Lenore Reed, D.C.A.O., Finance and Administration. Welcome this administration. Yes, good morning. Mm-hmm. Um, great question. I was sitting in my seat. I'm like, I'm so happy that you asked that question. Because that's the reason why the budget is structured the way it is, because we do want to be able to replace at a quarter each year. And instead of having to replace equipment, when they become outdated. Because that's a cost, and then we have to find the funding within the budget. And so the budget was structured that way, and Charles and I have had many conversations. We continue to look for opportunities um, to place items in our capital budget where uh, it fits. Um, Most of our capital uh, budget is for very high-dollar equipment. We do have ways to put things within IT and capital if it's a lot of servers that we're replacing. Uh, at one time and then we have to restructure our finances in such a way that we're not paying for a seven year asset over 20 years. Right. And so uh, we're very mindful of that, but we continue to look for opportunities as the need arises uh, for each capital budget to determine whether there are eligible uh, items or projects for IT. Currently, uh, most of IT is within our operation operating budget. and so. I, I love the question. We have structured our budget so that we are not looking for one year down the road where we're going to ask for ten, fifteen, twenty extra million dollars just to replace outdated equipment or to hinder our operations. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Uh,
8: my pleasure. <clears throat> my third question. Councilmember my second question, because one question was one part too. Um vacancies how can you tell us how many vacancies you have how many of those vacancies are are in the process of of looking for placements Um, and are those vacant positions is the funding there for the positions you just don't have persons in in those positions is what I'm interested in knowing so how many, how many funded vacant positions you have, and of that, if it's 20, how many of those are you currently recruiting to fill?
6: I will be happy to uh, have get those uh, specific figures to you later. I can tell you now we are funded, and we have 20 vacancies, but the details I'll submit in writing, so you'll have that.
8: All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate thank it. You. Thank you, Madam Chair.
3: Ms. Gray. Just... Um Looking through this, this talks about the mobile devices are part of the mobile service contract, but I don't see information on here. And maybe it's me. I can't find the mobile services contract information.
6: I'm sorry, ma'am. What, which document are you looking at?
3: I'm looking at contracts and under telecommunications equipment it says equipment purchase 35000 and then there's a note that mobile devices are part of the mobile service contract but oh. i don't i don't know where that contract is shown and how much it's costing us
6: yes ma'am i will need to provide that information to you mobile services has several pieces in it i'll break down who we pay and i can outline Um, what's included in that. I didn't want to confuse. When I say equipment purchase, that's where we're actually having to go out and buy something. If we need to replace a desktop phone or a a, a, um, conference call device. But all of our mobile devices, we never, quote, well, we do pay for them, but not on a per-device basis. It's part of the overall contract. I will send you those figures.
3: Okay. And is the whole entire city under the same contract? Yes, ma'am. Okay.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Todd, for your presentation. Thank you, ma'am. The next presentation, I think we can forego the break. We'll go directly to the Capital Improvement Program. Mr. Brown, welcome.
9: Good morning. Jay Brown, Director of the Department of Budget and Strategic Planning, and I have a Semi-brief presentation on the FY20 through FY2024 proposed capital improvement program. Uh, If I could reiterate what was stated uh, about a week ago, that the operating budget, in addition to the capital budget, focuses on bold and historic investments. And I would like to quote again the mayor, where he said that this budget, we have the opportunity to invest in our children, our families, and our neighborhoods to build the Richmond that our residents deserve. So you will see bold investments. To meet the city's long, neglected needs in both public education and in neighborhoods. To build a more inclusive, competitive, and a more equitable city. According to the GFOA, maintaining a high quality infrastructure is essential to the economic vitality and the quality of life for our cities. However, years of only nominal funding levels within the capital budget has resulted in deferred maintenance, disinvestment, and Deplorable conditions to our assets and to our infrastructure. And here are examples of some of the city's physical assets. This is an example of the Department of Public Works tipping floor, which is currently in the proposed budget. A bridge in the city of Richmond, you can see the crumbling facade on the far right. These are photos of our buildings. Concrete and the bars showing through concrete in our buildings and our assets. And the list just goes on and on, and you see some of the streetlights and traffic signs and the conditions of some of those as well. And a crumbling facade on some of our buildings. And so those photos highlight some of the um, challenges that we have with the city's infrastructures and assets. But with this capital budget, uh, the methodology focuses on neighborhood and streets, focuses on our schools, addressing projects that have a life, health, or safety matter. Um, We sought to try to make minimum adjustments to the plan years and to provide funding for projects in order to complete them. But when you look at the capital budget, we had a planned funding source last year where we did the FY19 through 2023 of only 36.3 million for FY20. But in, in fy 24 the proposed budget, we're at 96.9. And that increase re- resulted in additional debt capacity, which again is tied to the amount of general fund revenues that we have in the operating budget. As well as additional federal and state dollars, and providing cash. Some general highlights, um, things that have already been touched on, but this proposed capital budget provides about a 900% increase in the paving budget. I believe we had about one point five million planned in FY twenty and the recommendation is for fifteen million dollars for, for paving. And we heard the needs last week. And about one point two million for sidewalk projects. This proposed capital budget also funds one hundred percent of all of Richmond Public Schools requests for eligible projects at nineteen million dollars in FY twenty, which is a significant investment in education. This budget also provides funding for our parks, recreation, and community facilities. And it provides cash towards specific projects, which is a financial best practice, something that we will continue to strive and seek to do in future capital budgets. This budget also provides $3 million for the fire department to buy critical fire apparatus. And we've heard that there is a critical need, and this provides fire with the funding to address, to begin to address some of those needs. This budget also provides funding for three ADA projects to make the city more inclusive, and those projects include universal access to the James River, access to Browns Island from Tredegar Street, as well as the canal walk connected to Browns Island. And in FY 2024, if you recall, as a part of the mayor's school uh, multi year funding plan, there's $200 million for Richmond Public Schools as part of the school modernization in FY 2024, which is the fifth year of the proposed capital budget. In addition to that, I'm very proud and pleased to reiterate what the mayor has mentioned that uh, we also provided um, one of the first of its kind a 20 year capital improvement plan. Um, This 20-year plan will focus on investing in the city's physical infrastructure in addition to education. And again, I showed you some of the slides of some of the city's assets, um, and we're going to focus on providing investments to increase economic empowerment, to help provide for vibrant, inclusive, and mobile neighborhoods, and begin to addressing many of the public safety, health, and wellness needs of our city facilities and assets. Um, This is a first in the city's history um it takes the needs of the cities it organizes them and it shows a funding plan um, for the future for how we can we can begin to address those needs again in all areas from transportation to um, culture and rec to public safety to our neighborhoods to our streets and our roadways so when you're looking at the FY20 year of the capital budget in terms of the funding sources the majority of our funding sources come from general obligation bonds which is on which is the purple slice, big slice of this circle. And the majority, the second majority comes from federal and state, about $32 million. We see about 9.9 million of that is cash, a majority of which is in the general fund operating budget. And only about one and a half from prior appropriations and 5.34 short term debt. In terms of the um, appropriations for um, FY20, You will see that a majority of that for the first year of the capital budget is in transportation followed by education. Those will be the largest um, expenditures that is being proposed in the first year of the capital improvement plan. In terms of the five year, you will see that education will now be the largest part of the five year of the CIP. And that's primarily because of of the 200 million that's in FY 2024 four Richmond public schools, followed by transportation. And again, this reiterates the investments in education and in our neighborhoods and streets. In terms of non-general funds, which is our Department of Public Utilities, majority of their funding sources come from revenue bonds, followed by a significant portion is paid for by cash. And this is something that the Department of Public Utilities does every single year, where they are able to provide more cash funding to their capital budgets, more so than the general fund. And you will see the appropriations for FY20 again for the Department of Public Utilities, where a significant portion of the utilities capital improvement budget um, is earmarked for the wastewater utility, followed by almost neck and neck between water and gas, followed by storm water. Now, in terms of looking at the operating portion of the capital budget, I'm focused on the category of transportation. We see about 55.7 million in FY20, and over 166.3 million um, in that five year period. Again, paving constitutes about 15 million of that part of the pie. Followed by other projects which are primarily funded by federal and state sources. The next slice is education, and that includes the 19 million for Richmond Public Schools, again in FY20, they have 220 228.5 million over five years, which is school maintenance, followed by the 200 million in FY 2024. Economic development, um, no less important, but about 1.7 million in FY 20 and approximately 5 million over five years for the economic and community development category. And you see the projects on the far right to include the 25th Street development and several other projects. In terms of city facilities, and again, you saw some of the photos of some of the city's buildings. Uh, We have approximately 5.4 million in FY20 and 12.6 million over five years, again, to begin to address um, the city's buildings. There are numerous city buildings throughout the city, and there is a critical need. And you will see even more investments in city buildings in the 20-year plan, proposed within the 20-year plan. In terms of culture and rec, that's about 5.4 million, FY20, and 22.2 million over the five years. Um, As an example, there's funding to complete the Ann Hardy Family Life Center. And I talked about that as part of the methodology, funding to complete projects. And then there's also funding for uh, major park renovations um, for Southside Regional Park and Community Center and library projects as well. Public safety, is approximately $4.3 million in FY20 and $21.3 million over the five years to include things that we've always had in our capital budgets, to include our courts buildings, which there is a need in our fire station buildings. And in summary, um, we talked about that there's $166.3 million over the five years in transportation projects, which includes over five years nearly $35 million in payments again, to focus on improving our transportation infrastructure. We have $228.5 million in school maintenance and modernization over five years within this proposed capital budget. We focus on economic development opportunities, again improving our infrastructure, what we drive over and what we walk over, and focusing on critical upgrades to our city buildings to renovate them and to expand them for the benefit of our citizens. And I'm here to answer any questions that you do have. We do have the DCOs and directors here for specific questions that you may have on capital projects.
0: Thank you, Mr. Brown. Questions? Ms. Gray.
3: So I think I asked for this, but um, the year to date for the school capital spending and the cost of the three school Buildings that are currently beginning the
0: construction process.
9: If you don't have that, we'll make sure that you can you get that. We have to see if that's something that Richmond Public Schools provided that response or not.
0: So let's be clear about the because I think I heard you with this question before relative to those three buildings and how that those dollars have been allocated um, and what balance there is, I guess, out of that one hundred and fifty. And then the other questions, so we're clear. Be-
3: because I think when we had the meals tax debate, we were told there'd be five new schools, and I'd like to know where.
0: Okay, so I just want to make sure we have clarification on the question, so that we can bring that back and, uh, and make sure we get that information. Then, go and on, with I'm respect sorry.
3: to the fourteen million that was still in the capital budget that we later determined was still there after the debate last year with the superintendent saying he had 900000 and we were showing he had a lot more. Um, and so the agreement that everyone, and I know we couldn't see the back and forth um, that wasn't released. I would like to see that, um, the, how it was reconciled. But once reconciled, it was agreed upon by both schools and the city that $14 million was in that capital maintenance budget. So I'd like to know what's still remaining and what has been actually encumbered and contracted out for bid, not what they plan to spend it on.
9: Yes, ma'am. Thank
0: you. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Other questions? Ms. Larson? Then Ms. Robertson.
5: Um, I was also going to ask about the schools, the update on the the facilities. So um, I'd love to see that as soon as possible. Um, I have a couple other questions. Um, So we've talked to uh, Parks and Rec about some facility asset management, um, and when – Mr. Falky first got here, he sort of started that process of giving us a list of all the assets they have and um, has mentioned recently, you know, they're trying to update that and everything. As a city, how do we manage our assets and how do we know um, the utilization of those? For example, we own all these buildings. What? What's the... Daily usage of the building are we at fifty percent are we at seventy percent? Do we have buildings we can shut down? Do we need to look at the way we organize the space differently i mean this is this is important work for schools, and um, I don't think it's a secret that I wish schools would close some schools that, so that we're operating more efficiently, but I also think um, And this is less about Parks and Rec. I was just kind of using you guys as an example. Sorry. But But I just, I mean, we have a lot of assets. Some of them are we don't use, and I want to know that there is a plan and analysis for getting them off our books and if it makes sense putting them on the market and actually bringing in some revenue from them.
9: That's a great question, Councilwoman Larson. Um, I'm probably not the best person to answer that question. I do know that there was, I believe, a recent listing of all of the properties that I guess that the city may intend to sell that I believe was submitted to city council that may not be, uh, that aren't being used. and, And I believe that that list was sent to city council in November. But in terms of your question about utilization, I know I feel very confident that I believe parks and recs, I think they track um, patrons that use their facilities, but I can't speak to any of the other buildings. But we can certainly find out for you. Okay.
5: Um,
0: if- but, Miss Larson, before you move on, just okay. to add to that, um, it's because as Ms. Larson indicated, it's not just simply parks and rec, but other facilities, if we could look at utilization in that same way and whether or not those would bear retaining or consolidating or anything that allows us to? Yes, ma'am. Okay.
9: Thank you.
5: Um, yes, and if that was sent in November, if we can get somebody, our staff or your staff, to dig that up and, and recirculate it. Um, and yes, I, to, to reinforce what Dr. Newbill said, it's, I was just using Parks and Rec okay. as an example. I, I really think this is something that needs to be looked at citywide, okay, sure. and if we haven't done that analysis, and we don't have a good look at it, then we, we need to do it. We need to get that in the works.
9: Yes, ma'am. Okay.
0: Ms.
5: Um, I'm okay. sorry, I have one more mm-hmm. one more question. Um, Switching topics. So you have um, several million in there for new fire trucks. And I understand that our fleet is more than, well, the bulk of our fleet is more than 20 years old. So I know there are needs there. Is there any way to um, utilize some sort of regional collaboration um, with some of our other public safety partners to get, a better discount on these vehicles. I know that through the PDC, you know, there's a public safety component component of that um, body, and perhaps they could help facilitate something like that, and then we could all benefit from you know going in together instead of us purchasing you know four trucks maybe. Henrico, Chesterfield, Hanover, maybe some other localities also need it and we could benefit by doing a bigger contract and get spend a little less. Welcome chief.
10: Good morning, President Newbill, members of council, and to answer your question specifically, there is not a regional or national uh, buying consortium for fire apparatus. However, uh, we, must re- we must depend solely on ourselves as a community, as a uh, municipality, to purchase our own apparatus. We do buy cooperatively with contracts that are used throughout the nation um, to buy our apparatus at, a, uh, at, at a, a greater or more achieved fair market rate, if you will. But there is no uh, leveraged plan if you, that exists, if you will, for the region to purchase fire apparatus.
5: A quick follow up. Oh. Do you know if that has ever been explored with the PDC?
10: In terms of in our case say the the, the four major jurisdictions going into a purchase agreement. Yeah, is, I mean is there's is 10
5: the jurisdictions who are members with a, a of the PDC. So
10: so the current HGAC contract The Houston Galveston contract is one such plan that Mm -hmm. municipalities use to to increase their buying leverage to buy fire apparatus of a very similar design.
5: Okay. I don't know if the CAO has anything to add.
11: Good morning, Selina Cuffey, D- Glenn, CEO for the city. That's really not the function of the PDC as it relates to when you're talking about major responsibilities for locality when it comes to their assets, especially for public safety. Certainly we can ask the question, but I've, I've been doing this for about 38 years. I've never heard of such as it relates to that's, that particular approach because it's responsible for us as a community to be reliant upon our own assets and the ability to invest in our assets. But if we're looking at economy of scales, that's a totally different um, perspective. Uh, is that what you're thinking of, economy of scale? But as it relates to self-reliance, it has to be with the city of Richmond itself. Councilwoman. Yeah,
5: I'm, just, I'm just wondering if we can save a little money by going in with the other localities who might need public safety equipment. Yeah. And, I mean, the vehicles is an example because sure. it's such a large investment. Sure. But there might be other um, materials and supplies that we need, sure that we might be able to to go in regionally. the p d c came to mind because yeah they're a regional group they're already set up, and they do have a public safety component yeah that's and just on, not one of their on, missions. yeah yeah honestly the you know uh, by us going in and at least exploring it. Some of the smaller localities would benefit even more because, you know, we might be buying four trucks. They might only buy one truck every five years or something. So I, I just, I think it might be worth looking at. Sir, so I'm, just,
11: I'm just saying from a professional perspective, that is not something I would recommend. We can certainly ask questions about economy of skills, but self-reliance is what I would recommend that this city contemplate and invest in. But certainly we can take a look at your question.
0: Yeah, and I I think it would be a question at least worth exploration because we're talking not absolving the city. We will be responsible here. But is there opportunity for bulk purchasing that might (laughs) save dollars? And maybe not. It it doesn't exist. But, you know, we can at least explore the question question. with nine jurisdictions that are part of the PDC if that's an opportunity.
11: Sure. I just don't want to mislead you to think that is something we would recommend. Gotcha. Okay. Okay.
0: Thank you. Ms.
11: Robertson, were you?
0: Thank you. Um,
8: My question is, is, um, is in regards to the increase in the number of CIP projects that are new projects for this year. Um, and what is the uh, total value of those. And, my, and the reason I'm raising this question is because um, I recall, um, you know, 2016 when we came into this, this administration, um, we were very concerned as it relates to our capital capacity mm-hmm. and our limitation as it relates to how many additional capital projects could we bring on at the present time. And there was information that specifically indicated when our capacity would be at a level that would allow us to be able to add more capital improvements projects within our budget. And so I'm trying to go back to that benchmark that we had at that time and Looking at the the increase in capital improvements over the next five years that we've added into the budget and the number of new projects that we've added in this year, I'm trying to, I I really need to be able to appreciate um, how we move from almost a a very, very minimum capital capacity To a capacity now that in a five-year period of time, uh, we're looking at a significant number of increase in in, uh, five-year capital improvements projects that have come online in this amended budget year. And also uh, just really being able to appreciate what that is and the costs that is associated to, uh, to the city as it relates to making payments on those increases.
9: Yes, ma'am, if, th- if I think I understand your questions, um, yes, you are correct. Um, the prior capital budgets um, did not have as much capacity, so we had capital budgets, um, total budgets that uh, were nominal. And that was one of my first slides. Um, however, it was projected that in the later years, we would begin to have additional capacity. And we're starting to see a little bit of that. Um, That is really what is driving the 20-year CIP plan. Um, And so that's why we wanted to show that we have some critical needs and as capacity begins to become available, particularly in the out years of the CIP, we can begin to start thinking about, talking about, and having a plan for how we can address um, the city's infrastructure and assets. Um, However, relative to this current year, well, the current proposed CIP, uh, many of the new projects have to deal with additional federal and state dollars.
8: Has to do with what?
9: Has, has to deal with additional federal and state dollars for transportation projects. And so you, you will see that one of the reasons why we went from a planned of $36 million to $96 million, um, a majority of that has to deal with additional dollars coming from the federal and from the state government. Um, one of the did we information not
8: expect, when we were looking at the budget, did we not expect those state and federal funds at that time and that I, they would hit? I this do not time believe so.
9: Year? I do not believe so. Okay, and so that is one of the reasons why we're seeing an increase in the FY20 um, CIP versus what we had planned last year, in addition to the little bit of cash that we have in the capital budget as well. But you are correct. Um, that is why I prefaced this presentation, saying that because of some of the years where we had only nominal funding levels, um, there was not additional, there was not enough funding to be able to spread around for all of the capital projects and all of the needs. Um, now, as capacity b- becomes available, we have additional resources from the additional revenues that we have in the operating budget, and additional revenues coming from the federal and from the state government um, allows us to do more, and the additional. Capacity begins to open up in the out, out years. Again, that was the thrust for the 20 year CIP plans that we can begin to start addressing um, really a comprehensive addressing of the city's assets and infrastructure.
0: Ms. Robertson, does that answers your question? That concludes your question.
8: Um. I am, I'm not comfortable that I really understand the I, I, I appreciate the fact that if 60% of the capital expenditure is state and federal funds mm-hmm. um, are we recording them in the budget based on the fact that they are state and federal funds as, as a part of our CIP budget? Yes, ma'am. Even though they are not, even though they they are to some degree a grant to the city,
9: uh, we record them. As we do We don't have to pay donors.
8: a debt service on those funds, right? No, ma'am. Okay. No. All right. So just on the geo bonds. So I think that it would be <clears throat> important for. So with the increase in expenditures in the capital budget that uh, that will carry a debt service to the city,
12: mm-hmm.
8: you're saying that's roughly 30% of what we see in this budget, the ex- increases?
9: No, I'm not giving a percentage total, but I am saying that a majority of the increase in the capital budget has to deal with additional dollars, well, additional projects that had additional funding from federal and state dollars. In addition to that, uh, we we had some additional flexibility because of the additional revenues in the operating budget, um, which translates to the GO bonds. In addition to that, there's some cash funding in the capital budget, and so there's additional resources in the FY20 proposed capital budget that were not. There.
8: How much increased revenues are we using from the general fund budget that would be used to? address the debt service costs for the CIP as well as cash that Ca- we are taking for CIP projects.
9: Cash we have nine point six million dollars from the operating budget. Nine point six? Yes ma'am. And we have a general fund transfer to the debt budget of I believe seventy two million dollars. How much? General fund contribution to our debt fund $72 million.
8: Seventy two million?
9: Yes ma'am increase? No no that's just that is that's the budget total. Yes.
8: And that's an increase over and, yeah, go on, seems small, huh? Um, and, and I guess what I'm also asking is, what's the debt service cost for that increase that we would be paying based on the CIP?
9: I think I understand your question. Our debt service costs, we have all that fully funded in the general fund transfer to the debt fund Mm -hmm. again that's about 72 million dollars
0: that is the 72 million
9: yes okay Okay.
0: Okay. thank you thank you mr brown miss gray
9: um
3: so during that whole conversation i stand corrected because we do have a report from schools on the construction costs for those three new school buildings and i'm looking at The annual cost data report on the Virginia Department of Education's website. And just looking at the elementary schools, the most expensive elementary school on this report was a school in Loudoun County built for about a thousand students. And that school was built for 25,980,000 roughly. Um, Similar Green Elementary here, we're looking at nearly $42 million for that school. And we were told that because we are using stock plans, that these schools would come in a lot less expensive than other divisions. We're not paying for design work and other things. So if all around the state, I would imagine the construction costs are similar. This is 2018 data. If you could... Build a school in Loudoun County for twenty-six million. Why is it costing forty-two million in Richmond City? Yep.
0: Is that something you will need to get back with us on?
9: Yes, need to get with schools to get back. Okay, with way. schools, yes, ma'am. Okay, Megan. Okay,
3: um, and then the school capital maintenance. It looks like they did provide a report of encumbrances and what has been spent. So far, and it looks like there's nearly 10 million left of the 14 million, but this budget is proposing an additional 19 million, 19.2 million in capital maintenance funding for schools. What is the capacity? If this is the 18 million that when I was on the school board, I came to council and begged and pleaded for, got it. And here we are, I'm in my third budget on city council, and that $18 million still hasn't been spent. So $19.2 million in the upcoming year, how can we justify, how can I tell my neighbors, yeah, we're going to ask you for more money to hand this over, and they might not spend it for several years, but, you know, we're going to increase your taxes for it.
0: Ms. Reed, are you joining for additional comments in this regard or Yes, Ms. Madam Burrell?
1: President? Lenore Reed, DCAO Finance and Administration. It's a great question. In regards to the information, uh, schools actually sent a listing of all capital maintenance needs, and that listing was approximately a little over twenty-one million dollars. When we once we scrubbed that listing of all eligible capital projects, uh, for their proposed spending, it was about $19 million. It's my understanding that what schools had in their capital maintenance account was accounted for and they had projects slated to spend those dollars as well. And so the 19 million additional that you see in capital maintenance is based on a projected project listing and capital maintenance needs for Richmond Public Schools facilities.
3: I mean, I think- Thank you, Ms. Reed. Thank you. But I think when we made our case, it was $35 million in immediate life health safety. We made a good case. Obviously, we got $18 million. Um, but that money is still sitting there. While I was sitting here, literally this morning, my daughter's teacher sent me a text. I do not have heat in my class. I've been sick the whole week. Today I feel like pins and needles in my back. I can't work in these conditions. So we know the needs are there, but I don't see where the work is getting done. I don't know what the plan is. And if we're contemplating maintenance on all of these buildings that we have with declining enrollment, then is that really fair to ask for more money from Our
0: citizens. Thank you. Ms. Burrell, were you commenting relative to Ms.?
13: Betty Burrell, Director of Procurement Services. Excuse my voice. Uh Um, I did want to make one clarification. With respect to the 2020 schools, the three schools that were recently um, contracted for construction managers at risk, those um, proposals were received in November It was a competitive process. The cost of the schools um, in northern Virginia compared to Richmond, Virginia, we we can't say that those were, um, we can't compare those costs. But what we can say that in this Richmond market, we selected the vendors who would give the best value to the city of Richmond. Um, So I did want to clarify that, in fact, as you probably know, the city's procurement Department and the city's DPW department are managing the 2020 schools.
0: Okay, Ms. May, Ray, I, may I may clarify? It, yeah, um, to your last, is that the the last one you were?
3: Yeah, well, asking? on schools, yes, I'm looking at a um, the annual cost that I pulled the most expensive school out. Um, Chesterfield recently built New Beulah Elementary for 18.9 million. Um, and that capacity is 940 students, and we're talking 1,000 students for, for more than double that. Um, when I look at Roanoke City, again, 18.8 million for a similar size school. So it's not just Northern Virginia. Um, these, this report is the entire state, and I was trying, to, in all fairness, to pull out the most expensive elementary school in the entire list, and that is the Loudoun County, because I'm certain they have money in Loudoun to put more bells and whistles and um, programming within those construction projects. But um, we are running double what these other schools are in expense, so I am a little concerned. Loudoun, being at the peak of the... the, um, expense at twenty six million and we're talking forty, nearly forty two million on that similar size school. So that was my I mean that's the point I'm making. I'm concerned about the cost and why they're running so high. Okay. Um, with respect to the fire trucks, uh, I'm wondering I know that it takes a while to procure them. It might take up to a year and a half to get an engine once ordered. Have we considered Ordering used vehicles as a stopgap to have in our contingency plan if we are um, operating at such a deficit.
0: Any additional comment or clarification relative to that particular item? Chief, welcome again.
10: Madam President, uh, Melvin Carr, the Chief of Fire. And the question was about used fire trucks.
0: As
3: backups, if we're running at serious deficits now and it may take up to a year and a half to get an engine in once uh, ordered.
10: As a chief of fire, I'd rec- absolutely recommend no to buying used apparatus because you, you just don't know the, ap- the absolute true condition of the apparatus. And there are other strategies that we can bring to bear that can accelerate the building of new apparatus as, as opposed to buying uh, older apparatus with potentially unhidden uh, disparities that may cost us more money in the long run, potential safety issues to our personnel. So I absolutely wouldn't recommend it.
3: So those vehicles, other I know other departments utilize purchasing used vehicles, used engines that don't have as many miles and they come with, certain warranties and expectations, is that just not-
10: I I still would would not recommend it for this city and for our men and women. The the safety concerns is just too great in a high-volume city like ours.
3: So when you um, speak of accelerating the purchasing process, how quickly could we get a new engine once-
10: In terms of accelerating, it would really depend on the will of council. In terms of appropriating that funding, that $3 million, it typically takes, once we advise a vendor that uh, there is funding to purchase, we get into what is called the assembly line, a a place in the line. And then the assembly process takes anywhere from nine to 11 months. So it, it really depends on the will of the council.
3: You could not enter into that negotiation process until July 1 when the budget gets appropriated, correct?
10: Yes, theoretically, yes.
3: And then it'd be 9 to 11 months after July 1?
10: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Thank
3: you.
10: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Chief. Mr. Jones and then Ms. Trammell. I'm sorry. Mr. Jones, excuse me, clarification. Mr. Jones, Ms. Larson, and then Ms. Trammell.
4: Just just as a follow-up, is there a way that we can get an answer to Councilwoman Gray's question on the cost of those schools? Um, because in theory, if it is 40 million to construct and someone else is able to do it for $18 million, that's two schools. And so I just – I didn't hear. Maybe I missed it. Um, who can get us that information? Who's going to own getting that to us, Madam President?
0: Yes, and so I am looking – Slightly at uh, CAO Cuffey Glenn uh, to see if you can assist us in getting a response or, uh, yes, or I can pro- provide any S- S- questions. Selena Cuffey
11: Glenn, CAO. Certainly we can get the information. I just don't want council to, to be misled because you're getting data from the state. You need to understand there are certain unique features as it relates to every community we can only speak really to our procurement and how competitive it was but we can never be able one for one as it relates to the state and how localities made their own decisions but we'll certainly provide you with that information Thank
4: you and I, I mean even oh, if it's I'm just sorry, for a matter of best practices as far as, and again I'm, you know just I'm just trying to understand the process yeah. that and, and if we had a very, forty versus 20 yeah how does that happen because again, Costs were still relatively you
11: know. yeah, and one of the things about the process that we engaged in was a process approved by city council, and we were very um, um, committed to following the instructions coming from council as it relates to procurement. But once again, we can certainly provide you the numbers as it relates to our procurement. But we can't certainly speak to what the state has in its database based upon what's happening in the Commonwealth of Virginia. That's only used as a baseline. There are other things that you don't know, perhaps, in those particular communities, why certain things are less or more. uh, But we can respond to Richmond, and that's what we'll do.
0: So you will get a response back. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Ms. Larson? I'm sorry. Mr. Jones?
4: I was just following up on the dialogue there. Now, if we can get into my questions, I'd appreciate that. All That's right, awesome. Mr.
0: Jones. thank you. <laughs>
4: thank you. Thank you, and excuse my voice as well. Um, one of the things that, that, that I'm looking for in this budgeting process is just the fair uh, and equitable allocation of resources as it relates to the South Side. Um, and and I, I just want to ensure and make sure that funds are finding their way um, to the ninth district and to the rest, to, to the remainder of the south side. Um, we're behind, we're, we're behind the ball.
0: So, uh, Mr. Jones, can I ask, are you wanting um, a delineation I'm asking, I'm of a allocation question. for, oh, I see. Well, I'm, I was I'm like, getting okay. to a question, and okay. I'm just trying to lay a, okay. a, a framework
4: uh, for that, um, because, again, you know, Looking at the CIP dollars being removed from the ninth district, when I'm trying to get dollars to the ninth district, that 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 that's just and again, it's not even a lot of money. Is it's, you know we're talking uh, roughly four hundred thousand dollars, and if that's, that that that's still for me, that's an alarming trend. We work to get a half a million dollars for a particular project, and then we see it go out, um, and then the the number of years out for the completion of a particular project, in which we based upon our own numbers, have spent close to $6 million uh, in the acquisition and building of a particular project. And by the time we spend close to $7 million on the Southside Community Center, all we're going to have is a gym. And I don't know if that is um, the best allocation of funds. We'll have a gym that that whose facade is, is in dire need of... Uh, uh, Facelift, if you will, um, because again, I, I just believe—and it's not even—I believe the, the the citizens of the ninth district deserve different. We deserve different in that. And and again, you can come down, Mr. Farrell, you can come down, whoever wishes to come down and get in on this, you can feel free. Um, but I have a concern that we purchased an asset and we put six million, close to seven million dollars into it, and the only thing we're going to have. At the end of this, at the end of 2019, the end of 2020, is a building that is in need of a facelift and repair.
0: So, M- Mr. Jones, can I um, bond the list? Your first question was around equity, and so that bespoke to me some delineation of projects in your district. And then the second is very specific to the Southside Community Center. Is that accurate? I'm just trying to get my arms yes, around there, so that staff can respond well. to yes, us. Ma'am. Say again.
4: There will be a third one in there as we deal with. The okay, but of, are those two
0: pieces accurate? Wanting some sense or no?
4: No, okay. just, just yeah, let, let, let me let, let me finish, and, and then we can see if we can't make sausage out of everything that I'm uh, laying out here. Again, the piece is still the, 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 the fair and equitable allocation of, of resources, and that, that's again that, that's just just a basic thing. Then, as we look at how we complete projects in the ninth District, that still deals with equitability. And, and then just basic feasibility of a project that takes place in, in our district. Again, we, we will have spent $7 million and the project um, won't be completed. We'll have one building. We'll have one building. And so how do we go about making sure that as we start projects, the funds are there to finish that project? And that's something that... You know we, we we've talked about before, and then the third piece, and I'll, I'll stop after this. As we look at improvements to, um, you know, to basic infrastructure needs in the ninth district, you know, as everyone talks about sidewalks, as everyone else talks about uh, bike lanes and things of that nature, I still can't walk down Hall Street from Chippenham Parkway on into the city. Um, and, and how do we do that? We have a, a school that's going in right at uh, Chippenham and Elkhart right there. Um, and, and what's the process? I'm seeing dollars removed from Hay Road, the Hay Road Project, uh, and moved out to uh, later years. And how do we go about doing it? It may be state and federal funding and things of that nature. But this is just my opportunity to raise these questions of how we're going to do business in the ninth District on the south side where – Looking historically, we may not have expended uh, uh, necessary resources to get the people of the south side what they actually need. And I will couch it with this. If we are asking for uh, an increase in taxes or whatever else, I need to make sure that it's going to find
9: its way to the south side. Okay. Mr. Brown, so with that, uh, I, commentary I Digress:
0: comment and response.
9: Yes, Councilman Jones, um, if I may um, if I understand your concerns. And your questions, um, in the capital budget in the back of the book, we do outline the projects by council district. Um, there is approximately twenty one and a half million um, that is earmarked for the ninth district over five years. Um, that does include about five point five million in FY20- uh, pro- yes sir, so we just wanted to make sure that all council members are aware that uh, we also categorize those projects by council district as well for your reference.
0: all right. Yes, sir. Okay. And so, Ms. Cuffey, Glenn, Mr. Frake, are we further comment? Thank you, you? Madam President. I
11: just want to – I think I understand one of the questions that we've gotten from all members of City Council. And it deals with the fact when we bring facilities online or buildings online – is there a plan not only to address the capital needs, but also the programmatic needs for these particular communities so that council understands when it's making a decision to acquire uh, buildings, facilities, et cetera, that there's truly a plan that speaks to the capital, the operational, the the programmatic pieces, so that you don't have things just staying in abeyance or passively being a part of our inventory and not being utilized. So I think I understand that piece of the question, but I know uh, Mr. Brown was able to talk to a little bit about the spending plan as it relates to what needs to happen. Uh, but one of the criticisms that we've heard from many is, you bring it online, then there's not much being done as it relates to the capital investment that should occur as well as the operating, and then the programmatic pieces. Uh, but those are things that we certainly are aware of, and we're, we're hearing members of Ken's council as it relates to your concerns there.
0: Uh, Mr.
11: Frank, I
0: wasn't sure if there was additional.
10: I was just going to add that we are, though, with the current funding that we have, trying to move forward on some of the, the aspects of the master plan, and we, are, we feel like we can do a lot of the different uh, elements, at least on the outdoor aspects of the park.
0: So um, just going back, Ms. Cuffey-Glenn, to your comments, so then moving prospectively, any time a building's bought online, um, as Mr. Jones is referencing, there is an expectation of not just procurement of facility but operations pro- that we should, as a part of anything that comes forward to the it, council. And that should be is disclosed. That, That's okay. what I'm
11: used to as an administrator. Those factors to, should be laid out for the council so you truly understand the right. total cost and not just an element Regarding an acquisition of an asset.
0: Thank you. Yes,
11: ma'am.
0: Mr. Jones, we I think that was th- three. So if I could. And,
14: and I understand. You... I'm,
4: I'm just just, you... just making you know just just that point. You know, again, we're going to have a building. It's going to get knocked down. Parts of gonna get it's going to get knocked down. But this is what we've been looking at for the past two, three years in the ninth district. Um, and I just think. We deserve different. As as, lot, as 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 buildings and different assets come online, there has to be a plan um, and a funding plan of what we wish to accomplish. Because if not, we're looking at this building. We're talking another five years, and so five, seven, eight, nine years that that this building will have looked this way in the ninth district. And I just think I, there there has to be a different way right. by which we as a city uh, invest in our communities. Personally, it, it's almost if you're not going to do it right, then don't do it at all um, or do differently. And there's other assets within our portfolio that those dollars could have been focused on uh, to allow the administration to do. And, again, this predates current administration. It, it just does. And so, you know, I'll share that. Uh, piece as well, but again, as as we do as we do these things, we're talking nine years that we've had um, buildings that have windows boarded up. And Matt, Madam President. We actually we, we took a tour of this we facility.
0: Took a tour. Yes. Um,
4: and yeah. all I'm saying is is that what message are we sending to parts of our city that individuals already feel disenfranchised um, and the investment isn't there. And we just have to find a way uh, to do uh, and administrate our budget and our business differently to truly show that we're investing in our communities.
0: Thank so. you. And I, th- I I think the administration clearly heard that, and I think we certainly would concur that we would need that kind of plan when something's bought and the Southside Community Center is a, a prime example of why uh, such a plan of, you know, not just procurement, not just uh, facility improvement, but operation and program and all of those things. So, thank you. Right. For and that. so, as, as so. you begin
4: to talk about equitable, you know, of, of, of something being equitable, not equal, that there is a move or a mindset by which we say, okay, how do we write this ship earlier than later? Um, and, okay. and I understand the, the, the dollars that are going to go into the whole street road. I understand that. Um, but again, if if more dollars are needed in different areas, because again, the 21, that's just for whole street. That, that, that's just to get us, you know, I don't want anyone to think that that $21 million is, you know, a nicety. (laughs) I mean, we're just talking about being able to walk our street to be able to drive it. And there's still other parts where school buses have a difficult time getting down um, and areas that, that get washed out. And so, I still just want to make the case for an equitable allocation. And so if funds need to be moved up into a particular year, um, that as an administration we're fine, as a council we're fine because there are areas that are simply behind other districts in our city.
0: Thank you, Mr. Jones. Ms. Larson.
5: Thank you. Um, I have a follow-up regarding school construction. Um, So, If the city procured this, and I guess is the city managing the construction, then do our follow-up questions go to the city or the schools? I'd like some clarification on that. And also on this breakdown of uh, costs per school for the three schools, I'd like to know if included in the cost is any um, demolition or site work that was done prior to construction. Thank you, Ms. Larson. Is that you, Mr. Vincent?
2: Good In afternoon. Response? Well, it's still morning. Good morning, Council. Um, Bobby Vincent, Director of Public Works. Yes, the Department of Public Works um, is the project manager for the construction of the schools. And um, the construction of schools is a multi-phase um, Component and we're certainly looking at that information, and we'll get back the answers um, to those other questions. But there, there is site work, demolition work, um, as well as construction. Um, that's all included within the cost of the construction of a school. But we will, in fact, get that information. But the Department of Public Works is the project manager for um, the construction of schools.
0: Miss Larson,
5: um, I would appreciate it if you could delineate that out. Whatever site work or Pre-construction work was done, including demolition, and I'd like to know um, if if that was included in this in this number, like under which um, which header it's yes, it's in. Thank you. We
0: certainly will. Thank you, Mr. Vincent, uh, Miss Trammell.
7: Thank you, Madam President. I'm going to make a few statements. Um, I just want my colleagues to know that it's just not about one district. It's about all of our districts. All of us um, need things in our district. And um, many of us, I'll just speak for myself since one of my colleagues speaking just for himself. The 8th District has, you know, suffered too, not getting things that we needed. But um, thank God that my people have been patient and you know, when we had trees planted on Jefferson Davis, you would have thought that we had a million dollars spent over there the way that the people were so grateful to see trees get planted over there. Um, with their Hickory Hill Community Center, we have waited a long time to have things put over there, and um, we're grateful for all the things that we have. We know it's been a slow um, progress, but at least we've got things. Um, it's not as big as the Southside Community Center. It didn't cost as much as what they with that cause, probably, um, but we're grateful for what we have. I know that the mayor has said that people leave the city when the schools, because of the schools when the children get of age to go maybe to um, junior high or high school, I'm hearing different. I'm hearing my people say that the citizens are leaving the city because of the streets, the high taxes, Leaves not being picked up now, um, the drainage problems. And I know that in the past year I've spoken to Bobby Vinson about that I want to make sure that Public Works gets the money that they need because our streets are horrible. And it's Bobby doesn't take – he doesn't write the checks. He doesn't um, – he can present to us what he needs, present it to the mayor, present it to um, – Selena, but he doesn't write the checks. And to me, as I said a week ago, a couple weeks ago, that I don't always get my mail every day, but I know one thing. Every Thursday, um, our trash cans get dumped. Um, Those people that work in public works, they're, I mean, they're some of the best of the best. They're out there 24-7 working and you know with what they have, and I know that not all the time they have the equipment that they need, they have broken down equipment they have things that don't you know that they have to share and um I want to see more money go into public works and if we're sitting here with Kim and Kristen talking about that money that's not been spent with the schools i we need some answers. we definitely need to know why that money's not has not been spent, and also to me, it's not right to take from a department or to give them not what they need when there's so many citizens, more citizens in the city now than ever before, that depend on the streets being fixed, the trash being picked up, the the leaves being picked up, and also the drainage and all of that being cleaned out. Or when you have when um, they have apartments being built and they they do the streets, and then all of a sudden they say, well, we have to bring public utilities back in here because we didn't do this. This is not right. Then they dig that up, and people say that's – you know, it's like both departments are not working together. But some people don't realize that many times they are working together, but you have a problem after the street or after the project has been completed. I've seen that over there in the Blackwell area and in the Oak Grove area. But um, – but- I don't think that we need to raise taxes. I think that we need to look at the schools and City Hall because I think there's a whole lot of waste. And I hope pretty soon I'll be able to prove what I'm saying about how much money is being wasted at City Hall and in the schools because it's it's not right. Thank you. And to text these people, to keep on taxing these people to death, it's not right. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Ms. Trammell. Ms. Robertson. And then we'll round out uh, this presentation.
8: Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, I just want to follow up on the questions as it relates to schools. Uh, Our history has proven to us that the amount of money that we put in the budget for routine maintenance has not been spended in the year that it was appropriated in the budget. So I would like to just to be clear that we are asking for a schedule from schools as it relates to this $19 million, what projects are going to be done and whether or not they're going to be done within this uh, FY year or whether um, we expect those to be over a longer period of time. And the other question that I'd like to get clarification to as it relates to the new schools that are being built, If the administration did the procurement and are also overseeing the contract for the construction of them, is that correct? Um, As to whether or not we are also looking at maintenance uh, in the future years out of facilities for school or whether or not that will become school, we will continue to deed buildings to the city, to schools, and then schools take on the responsibility for the ongoing maintenance. Um, historically, and that's the only thing that we can make our decisions sometimes on, and we always say things have changed, um, but a lot of the challenges that we've faced in, in uh, is maintenance not only just the funding that's necessary for upkeep and maintaining upkeep, is the actual use of the equipment in the buildings that have caused major uh, damages within the building as it relates to um, ongoing maintenance. So I think if, we, if we're building the building, um, um, then the question is whether or not we're going to take on the ownership of the routine maintenance, and especially if there are you know, punch list things that come up afterwards. I'm sure we're going to take care of all of that through the construction process. Ms. Coffey
11: Glenn. Yes, ma'am. Uh, let me try to break it into several categories because I think you have some good questions that you're asking as it relates to process. Certainly, uh, as indicated by um, Betty Perrell and um, Mr. Vincent, we are responsible for the construction. Once construction is done, schools are turned over to. Um, the public school system, just per law, per practice of this um, city. Uh, There is a cure period as it relates to punch list items, as it relates to what the contractor should have done, as it relates to what's in the actual contract agreement. But once it's turned over to schools, they are responsible for the long-term maintenance of any facility. Uh, But I think one thing that you did hear from the superintendent is the question of accountability. Uh, Because I think it is certainly something that this council would want. And, of course, the mayor, uh, he's made that very clear. If We are going to be investing not only in the operational uh, development of our school system, but also for our capital investment. There has to be that accountability. There is always a cyclical process when it comes to school maintenance because of the kids being in schools at certain times throughout the year that they can do particular work. And so sometimes it will... Require uh, a series of years depending on what it might be looking at their calendar. Uh, but that still gets to the accountability in the schedule that you would want from the school system. So I think that's a legitimate request uh, as it relates to information that you need to have as it relates to the 19 million that's being requested today, but also uh, the question that I heard from Councilman Gray and others about the dollars that they currently have within their um, their budget. How are they planning to use those dollars that were approved by city council? So certainly we work closely with the superintendent and will continue to do that in 2019, but also beyond. But there are certain processes that will happen once the schools are constructed. Uh, The goal is to have the schools ready. The three schools by 2020, that was agreed upon as early 150 million. There was never a commitment for five schools because we never would have had enough money to do five schools. But the three schools, through the procurement, contracts are ongoing. Uh, they've already started the process of mobilization, and we're still looking to that 2020 date. But once they're turned over to the school, the maintenance responsibility will fall upon that political entity uh, of the Commonwealth. Thank Can you, I Ms. A
8: follow-up to that? Uh, Ms. coffey Glenn, thank you very much for that clarification. Um, at the time that we transfer ownership, uh, to rich and public schools uh, we've talked about this to some degree as it relates to transferring versus a long-term lease and whether or not there's an advantage to the city as it relates to uh, capital assets um, versus um, capital assets to the city to the schools not being a valuable resource to them and, and that That's a larger conversation that I think that we should begin to have as we continue to go through the process of building new schools. Um, And the other question that I would like to, or recommendation that I would like to be assured that we consider, as it relates to the construction itself, there are certain guarantees that comes with certain equipment and other kinds of things for the required certain, yes, warranties and certain... But it requires certain inspections and certain other things that needs to be done. Um, It would be helpful as a maintenance strategy that we kind of map that out as a part of the transition, regardless of which instrument we use for the transition, so that we are aware of those kinds of things and we can be asking for those kinds of uh, maintenance review to ensure that we aren't missing opportunities where warranties exist and also not in compliance with certain uh, action that may be required in sure. the lifeline of the facilities. Sure.
0: Thank you. Excellent questions. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Gray, last question. So this isn't a question. It's just oh, okay. um,
3: a statement about what was sold last year when we were going through the conversation around meals tax. I just pulled up a story from... Community idea stations where it says, um, "Richmond City Council last night approved a hike in the city's meals tax from six to seven and a half percent to help build five new schools and renovate two others." So that's what was said would happen happen if folks agreed with that meals tax hike. Obviously. Three schools, and there may be some funds left over, but we are spending a lot more than our counterparts across the Commonwealth. So, I just where the the five school comment came in was what we were told when the mayor was pitching the meals tax increase, and it's in all the articles I've pulled up from that time period. It said five schools and two schools renovated.
0: So I, what I want to do is just, uh, because this is not the subject of the CIP, but I will, the administration, if you want to briefly comment thereof, and then that will, will move forward, uh, reference to what Ms. Gray has shared.
3: It's, it was just, yes, you know, I'm just responding to the comment that yeah. five schools was never in the conversation, but it said $9 million that it would generate would pay for five new schools and two renovations. And we're okay. at three schools.
11: Certainly, I can if, never speak to what's in, in a story. I can only speak to the facts. $150 million, and the recommendation was for us to work with the school board as it relates to their priorities. The priorities were, as you know, Mason um, School, uh, um, Green, as well as um, Thompson. So the, the city... Work with the school and uh, with as it relates to the number of schools that they wanted constructed. 150 million was all that was made available based upon the 1.5% uh, with the mill rate. Um, certainly, we follow those instructions, working closely with the school system. And so, what you have that will come online. Is in 2020 are the three schools. Okay. Um, with is not going to be constructed under that scenario because there's just not enough money. It's almost like a hundred million dollar school. Uh, but I can't speak to what was in an article or a story. I can only speak to what we were given instructions to do. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Coffey Glenn.
0: With that, I would like to share that our staff um, has. Performed a detailed analysis of the CIP as presented should be documented in our packet. Please fill, please review that and get back with any questions. With that, we will take a ten minute break and return for the next set of presentations that pertain to City Council Eight. <laughs> Council members, if you will join me, uh, we will reconvene our budget work session. And our first presenter will be the Office of the City Attorney. I think everybody's on route. Mr. Jackson.
15: Yes, sir. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, Alan Jackson, city attorney, Madam President, members of council. Um, What you see is an enormous increase in my general fund budget is actually an accounting change. Uh, In prior years, the cost of our support for the Department of Social Services was captured through a special fund. Uh, You'll recall last October... Uh, a discussion uh, about the change not only in the method by which the state reimburses localities, but also a very substantial change in the amount of its reimbursement for legal services meant that the city could no longer uh, account for the cost of the services we perform uh, through a special fund. This is the result of moving For the most part, this is the result of moving the special fund dollars into the general fund, and you'll see that noted both in the uh, materials uh, that support the mayor's proposed budget as well as in uh, staff's analysis. Aside from that, uh, our budget is essentially flat plus the 1% increase in salaries that council authorized beginning in January, the 3% proposed increase in salaries uh, that would take effect in July, increases that have been described to you for health insurance and retirement benefits, and finally uh, an allocation of a portion of the cost to basically redo the city code. Uh, We are required by charter to do that once every five years. Uh, it's typically about an 18-month process. We'll begin it next year and complete it in FY21. That is my budget. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Council
0: members, are there questions? Seeing none, Mr. Jackson, thank you very much. And thank if you. there are questions that come up, please get those to staff and Uh, staff will uh, uh, interface with uh, Mr. Jackson to get responses back. Next presentation will be uh, City Agency uh, City Assessor's Office. Mr. McKeithen. Welcome, sir.
16: Good morning. Good morning. Richie McKeithen, City Assessor. Uh, simply what you have before you is my FY proposed budget of $4,565,661. Um, it was a 3.3% increase from my FY approved budget. Um, this basically encompassed um, the actual salary increases that will take effect, as well as some bumps for um, things like health care and and retirement. Um, I think it's an adequate budget for us. I think that um, we'll be able to function um, with no problems. We are currently in the process of continuing to hire individuals Um, As you can see, we have five vacant positions at the bottom. Um, We're holding interviews uh, next week to continue to try to fill our vacancies. Um, That has been one of our biggest challenges, um, continuing to fill vacancies as we um, continue to assess property throughout the city of Richmond. Um, Another one of our biggest challenges will be the onset of trying to acquire a new computer-assisted mass appraisal system, um, which we have started the process. Uh, that's why you see the increase uh, from FY19 adopted to FY20 approved. Um, We're in the process of trying to acquire a new camera system, not because there's anything wrong with the current one. Um, the current one um, is will no longer be supported. Um, as the years continue to roll on, because all of the vendors are now moving to more um, GIS composed type systems. And so we uh, have started the process of um, trying to uh, acquire a new camera system. Other than that, um, that's our budget. Um, and those are our challenges. And um, I'll take any questions at this time.
0: Thank you, Mr. And Council members, are there any questions? Seeing none, I'm sorry, Ms. Trammell.
12: I don't
7: have a question. Richie, I just want to say thank you for taking the calls from my citizens and also thank you for meeting with them because I know some of them have been very, very upset about some of their assessments going up real high. And um, I know that you've been to our meetings and you, you have explained that um, it's just not in 8th District, it's all over the city about the growth and about all the employment and homes that are coming up in our city and that we're on the move right now, and our assessments are going to go up because um, they have to um, to be with the surrounding counties because um, we have populations growing, um, You know, people moving back into our city, especially the younger people with the apartments and townhouses and things like that. So I just want to say thank you for helping many, many of the seniors. Thank you.
16: Thank you.
0: Appreciate thank you again. It. Thank you, Mr. McKeithen. Thank you. Uh, the next presentation will be our City Auditor and Inspector General, Mr. Lassiter.
12: Madam Council, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> Madam President, Mr. Vice President, members of City Council. My name is Shannon Paul and as Mr. Lasseter is coming up here, I just want to briefly discuss performance-based budgeting like I did last week. Um, we did talk about how what we're really trying to do is improve service delivery um, through aligning outcomes with dollars budgeted. That's simply what performance-based budgeting is. I would like to thank um, Mr. Lassiter for agreeing to participate in this pilot program. One of the things that I'm most appreciative of is the fact that we had representation from every major facet of city government. It would not have been possible without departments like the city auditor and also the Commonwealth attorney participating i think it says a lot about where we are as a city and the strive that we all make to try to make the city of richmond a better place in the individual jobs that we do with that i'll turn it over to lou thank you
14: good morning good morning welcome thank you for having me I'll try to go through this fairly quickly, knowing you have a full agenda. Up there, you can see the department's mission statement is simply said to promote open and accountable city government through independent audit services. We have several objectives under there regarding financial accountability, promoting effectiveness and efficiency, and compliance with laws. And as you can see, it uh, the city auditor's office touches both the mayoral and council focus areas impacted under efficient and high quality services and accountable and innovative government. One of the things that uh, we talk about when we measure our performance is are we identifying cost saving opportunities for the administration and council in our audit work. Uh, And so last year we started tracking this goal. It's a new goal, and it was about $960,000 of opportunities that we presented in FY18. We've set a goal moving forward of a million dollars per year of, of uh, opportunities. Now, some of those can be one-time things, and others may be recurring opportunities, and obviously you would have a, a domino effect on the ones, and they have a bigger impact if they're on an annual basis. Another measure we track is our own accountability in terms of the time we spent and bill on audits. If any of you all are familiar with how law firms bill or CPA firms bill, it's all about what they call billable hours. Well, our biggest asset is the hours that, that my team has, and we want to be good stewards of that asset. Certainly, we have training requirements that we have to meet. We have staff meetings that we have, and administrative things that we have to, to tend to. But in terms of the audit time, we've set a goal of 78% of our our hours um, would be uh, billable hours or time charged to, to the audits by the audit staff. Now, last year, um, with all the transition and turnover, and also we put in a new audit software package that fell to 68%, um, we're looking to improve on that. And, again, we've set a goal of 78% of that time. Recommendations are only so good if they are agreed to and then subsequently implemented. Uh, We have set a goal of 95%. That would be 95 out of every 100 of recommendations we make that the uh, auditee would agree with. Last year, uh, we achieved 99, or close to 99%. It was actually 88 out of 89 recommendations made were concurred with. The second part is another measure we track uh, in terms of uh, implementation rate. And we saw significant improvement on that in the follow-up that we issued last year. In summary, 310 out of 398 recommendations made Um, since January of 2012 have been implemented. Understand that there's always a lag in that implementation and the bulk of the ones that were open as of last fall were from 2016 audits forward. There's other performance measures we track. We've implemented an auditee evaluation at the end of each project to gauge how well we did as auditors. We feel it's important as part of our accountability if we ask an auditee to open up them uh, themselves to being audited. That we too should receive feedback, and report on that feedback. That was started last spring. Uh, our auditee evaluations. We don't have a, a critical mass yet of those that have come back, but uh, for 18, they were 4.3 out of on a scale of five. Uh, staff meeting CPE requirements and also passing our uh, three-year independent yellow book review are important measures that we track. You're going to see a little uh, noise in and out in terms of the budget. I would, I would caution you to look on the bottom line there in the blue regarding the, the city auditor's budget. You can see there was a substantial decrease from 18 to 19. That was primarily attributable to the IG staff being moved to a separate department. You will see also under the FY20 proposed, rather than put things under the administration cost center, we just simplified it and said we are about audit services. That's what we do. That's what we provide. Uh, And the budget that you see there provides funding for the two uh, FTE that uh, were not funded in the city auditor's budget for prior years. The next slide in Service Center is just simply the management of the external audit contract for the CAFR and the single audit. And uh, that cost is budgeted at a little north of $300,000 uh, for FY20. And that is all I have for the City Auditor's budget. I'd be we welcome to uh, take questions before I put my IG hat on and do the IG budget.
0: Thank you, Mr. Lassiter. Do we have uh, any questions from council members relative to the auditor budget, Councilwoman Robertson?
8: Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, thank you for the presentation. Could you just quickly again um, enumerate those key benchmarks that you are measuring for performance? I the graph that shows your Um, the time that you spend on the audit, uh, the concurrent rate, and...
14: So uh, out of 100 hours, work hours, just to say hypothetically, my staff have to uh, give 40 hours of training every year to maintain compliance with the, the standards that we adhere to. They have staff meetings. They have email that they have to check that may not directly be charged to an audit every hour of the audit staff's time is charged to either an administrative task, leave, uh, a staff meeting, or on the audit that they're working on. So the the biggest asset that my team has, an auditor has, is their time. And we want to make sure that, I mean, we all are about doing audits. That's what we're hired to do. So uh, making sure that we're not... We're being productive with our own time, just as if you were in a law firm in the private industry. They track billable hours. We track what you would equate to billable hours within our within our team.
8: Okay, I'd, I'd like I'd to. I'd like to just have a. I don't want you to just tell me. I just want to have a hands-on appreciation for how you go about tracking those hours.
14: Uh, Every two weeks, uh, that time, actually the the, the audit staff input it into our audit software package. So every audit that we have or every administrative category we have in a 40-hour week, let's just say, and I'm a senior auditor and the city auditor, they input that time into our audit software package. Even though they're non-exempt personnel, they they input that time into our audit software package so we know where we're spending our time. Because when we prepare the audit plan every year and we're going to audit, I'm just going to say payroll, let's say, that's we budget that project at a certain amount of hours.
8: Okay. Good.
0: Good. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Lassiter. If we could move to the Inspector General report. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, one second, I didn't see you, Miss Gray. Miss Gray,
3: well, I did have one quick question. There are two position requests, but only one is proposed to be funded. And
14: I think the the funding that's there should be able to hire close to to, to both. Um, but so. we'll see. I think there's a hundred and. Forty thousand dollars there. I think they were both funded. So you think, you and the can mayor's get proposed
3: two full-time auditors plus it, benefits for them. It
14: would have to be very at the bottom end of the the scale to bring that about of the the auditor pay scale. They would be uh, uh, coming at the auditor level versus senior or lead auditor level. Yes, ma'am.
3: So. Um, is there a possibility of getting what the number might look like to be somewhere averaging towards the middle of the range and not at the bottom?
14: What it, that might it, it it would require it would require more funding to bring in two at the mid level of the range.
3: Right. So I'm... that would be
14: like a couple hundred thousand dollars instead of the one.
3: 140. Something. Yes ma'am. 140. So roughly 60,000 more not the 102 difference. Yes ma'am. Okay. That was that's kind of where I was going. Okay. And these positions are positions that you can use and are needed in your operation.
14: Right. So, we could, uh, we we could we could use that funding to do additional audits uh, and add those to the audit plan. Yes ma'am. Okay.
0: Thank you. Ms. Robertson
8: and do a, just one follow-up I don't know whether or not this is even realistically possible but you know several departments have lots of vacancies um, and they frequently say the reason why they are not able to fill the vacancies is because of our pay scale uh, recruiting the employer employee at the skill level that is needed for the job, um, we don't get enough people applying uh at that skill level, and then secondly, those that are at those skill levels request and expect greater pay than what we are willing to what we have budgeted and that seems to be an ongoing challenge for the city um Whereas we may have in some departments, I understand, a vacancy rate almost 25 percent, which is huge. Um, and funding appropriated for those positions, at, but they're at levels that people are not willing to accept the job. And so we're we not solving our problem of bringing in more staff because of that, Um and I don't know whether or not that is something that your office can help us think through a process with the administration of how maybe we could uh, restructure some of that to make it possible that we wouldn't continue to have funding appropriated for vacant positions but not being able to fill the vacant positions.
14: Right. I mean, our office uh, just became fully staffed as of November. Uh, We had similar issues where we had vacancies. I do know some localities, when they're budgeting, uh, take that vacancy factor into into consideration when they budget, and I'm sure that the budget department has different models that that they use as well to address that. I, I think I should probably.
0: Thank you, Mr. Brown.
9: Jay Brown, Director of Budget and Strategic Planning. Um, If I may, uh, if you recall, uh, in the general fund budget, there's only about $17.6 million in funding for all vacancies, and that's probably out of about $38 million for all general fund vacancies. Um, We've been trying to slowly get back up, um, but it certainly um, is less than 50% of the funding that is needed to fill all vacancies in the general fund budget.
0: Okay, Ms. Robertson? responsive to your question? i have a more in-depth conversation
8: with them as to what I'm wanting, wondering whether or not there's a possibility
0: that we could reconsider as to how we do that, but okay, thank you. Thank you. Ms. Gray.
3: Um, just dovetailing on that line of questioning, um, we don't have updated information on overtime, um, and I did copy you all in the letter about overtime because the audit that um, Mr. Lasseter completed showed about $16 million that we're spending in overtime costs, which could be um, contributed to by the vacancy rate. I mean, if you don't have enough regular pay bodies and you start utilizing the folks you have at higher overtime rates, some maybe other things going on, but um I do think it's important for us to have that information during our deliberations because that that can tell us by department what's going on and where the shortages
0: are and where the needs might be. Okay. Thank you. Mr. Lassiter. if we could move to Inspector General.
14: Okay, so the department's First independent-owned new budget was for FY19. What you see in FY20 adequately funds the department. It addresses the new IG uh, starting and also the administrative position that has been held vacant there this year because we wanted to let the new IG, uh, wanted them to come on board before they hired their uh, own administrative position. So this budget... Basically, uh, funds that staff fully as well as has about $30,000 in it for investigative software. Right now, they're using uh, our old package of audit software that actually is no longer being, we were told, was not going to be maintained by the vendor. So, they do need some, some audit software or investigative software as they get stood up. But this... Addresses the needs of the IG's office fully moving forward.
0: Okay. Thank you, Mr. Lasseter. Questions relative to the Inspector General budget? Seeing none, thank you very much for your presentation. The next presentation I thought I saw Miss Reed someplace. Oh, yes, Ms. Reed, City Clerk's office.
17: Good morning. Candace Reed, City Clerk. Um, For the office of the City Clerk, we have a proposed total general fund budget of $990,178. However, we had requested about $188,000 to continue the needed upgrades for the Council Chamber audiovisual technology. This request was not included in the mayor's proposed FY20 budget, and we would like the additional funding so that we could make those upgrades. Are there any questions?
0: Council members, questions?
5: Ms. Larson? Ms. Larson?
0: Okay. And then Ms. Robertson. Candace,
5: um, so have you prepared an amendment with the council with the upgrades that we've been talking about for since i've been on council okay no all right You have not can you pull that together or send us whatever budget you have so we can see what the needs are
17: yes i can okay. do that would that be
5: can would that be part of your operating or would that be in the capital
0: i believe operating okay yeah we have Certainly I've been anticipating an itemized list in this regard from Ms. Reed. This has been something that's been discussed for a little bit of time.
17: Right. And I can send the quote that we did get last fall for the work in the chamber, which would include changing out their microphones, um, getting rid of the projector and getting a video wall system, um, as well as doing the rewiring underneath the dais because the bones are bad. So if there is another Fiasco with the audiovisual system. It probably is likely due to the wiring underneath the dais.
0: Okay, Miss Robertson. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Jones. I did not didn't mean to overlook you there.
4: Ms. Reed, thank you. Um, and and I, this is just a, a general comment, uh, Madam President. Just ensuring that. Um, when we talk about transparency and things of that nature, one of the transparent things that happens um, is our broadcast on uh, on Monday evenings for council to make sure that goes just, I mean, whatever we need to do to make sure that there are, there are no audio issues and things of that nature. Because I know we've gotten, we've received text messages of whether or not individuals can hear or can't hear. Right. Uh, and so a lot of times when we make those statements over, you know, in in session is because we received several text uh, messages from individuals uh, watching. So whatever we can do to, to ensure uh, that Ms. Reed has the the resources to do um, her job to ensure that that part of transparency takes place um, and that we're just up to date and just current and the things that we are able to provide would be great.
0: Thank you again. And uh, this has been a um, discussion with Mr and uh, certainly have had full expectation that she would provide an itemized um, listing of the needs to help us. Certainly, we may have an issue, but we can certainly mitigate some that are attached to the level of equipment and wiring that we currently have by looking at uh, uh, enhancements. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, one second, Miss Reed. Ms. Gray.
3: Oh, I just wanted to thank the gentleman, and I cannot recall his name, who fixed my splinter issue. They did come down and <laughs> fix that. I don't so, think
0: that's a part of it, Ms. Gray. I,
3: well, I think, no, no, no. That was, I know. I'm I was complaining about yes. the, the condition yes, the of desk, the, the, the desk, desk and he did come and fix that. So well, I, if mm-hmm. I'm going to complain publicly, I have to say thank you publicly, too. So I know he's a public works yeah, I guess William like, Irby. Mr. Irving. Yeah. Um, well, I, Irby. I Irby. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Irby is amazing because I'm not snagging and getting splinters every time I come in here. So um, I know that's a small thing for folks, it, but not, it's a yeah. big aggravation when, sure. you know, hose are going for $12 a pair now. So thank you. Thanks. Please send him a message that I really appreciate that he did that.
17: we Will do.
0: So, Ms. Reed, um, while I was giving Miss Gray a slight hard time, I, I think the point, in addition to what you're providing to us, if we can also have um, Ms. Cuffey-Glenn, I don't see Mr. Vincent, but someone to look at the equip. This is not equipment per se, but this, these deaths and the condition, and that they are, as uh, p- much as possible, um, not injurious to us, uh, And everyone else who uses, because it's not just city council, it's, you know, school board, et cetera, who use these desks to make sure they're in as good condition as possible. We would appreciate that. I know I'm looking at you, Ms. Coffey glenn but I know you'll, you know, appropriately direct that. We would appreciate that. And thank you for raising that, Ms. Gray. Ms. Reed, thank you very much. Thank you. Look forward to the documentation. The next item, uh, presentation, uh, City Council Office of the Council Chief of Staff. Ms. Brown.
18: Yes, good afternoon. Um, first, we are going to review the Council Chief of Staff budget. Um, the personnel services line um, did increase by 122000 We do believe this to be high. Um, we are under the impression that an extra um, part-time position got funded when um It doesn't need to be. We don't have um, the need for a part-time position or additional part-time position. So we are working with budget to reconcile to make sure that all of our full-time positions are funded as well as the vacant um, council chief of staff. But we do anticipate to be, we are anticipating that, um, our budget can get slightly reduced. I just don't have an exact dollar amount. But as soon as I know what that dollar amount is, I'll make sure that I communicate that to council so that those funds can be used somewhere else within the budget. Um, our operating budget remains relatively flat. And within our operating budget, um, that includes twenty thousand dollars for the consultant services, um, about eight thousand for conference conventions and employee training, and then the remainder is mostly for supplies um, and some other expenses related to um, equipment or computers or um, things of that nature. So, at that time, if you have any questions for the council chief of staff budget.
0: Thank you, Ms. Brown. Council members, do we have questions? Ms. Gray and Ms. Robertson.
3: So the 3% proposed increase, where could I find that? And
18: The 3% is wrapped up in the personnel services. Um, but like I said, that also includes additional funding for a part-time position that we don't need. So that, that variance will change and will be reduced.
3: Okay. Thank you.
18: Mm-hmm. Ms. Robertson.
3: So we had
8: talked, uh, thank you, Madam Chair. We had talked previously about whether or not we needed to consider uh, having some, and I don't know whether this is in this budget or not. I may be in the wrong budget. Um, Monies for uh, someone to do more economic impact analysis for us when we get these huge development deals, and we also passed, uh, a resolution requesting 150 for services to evaluate those kinds of and other consultant services. Would that be in your budget or would that appear somewhere else?
18: It could fall in my budget and or council's budget because right now the money that we currently have, the 40,000, it's split 20,000 and 20,000 in council and council chief of staff budget. So if the desire of the body was to use whatever additional funding that I have to keep that in the Council Chief of Staff budget so that we can still use that for consulting services. We can um, we can do that as long as it was the desire of the body.
8: Okay. So, uh, Madam Chair, we did pass a paper uh, requesting an additional 150 for those kinds of services, which obviously, if I'm understanding correct, correctly, is not here, uh, and we should consider those costs, uh, and also whether or not there may be a need for um, those kinds of expertise as a part of the staff. Whether it's on a part-time basis or whatever, I'm not sure. But to take those into advisement as it relates to the funding that has been identified in the
7: budget um, as we go through this deliberation. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. (coughs) Emmel. Madam President, um, later on, I'd like for you and I to have a conversation in reference to this. Thank you. Absolutely.
0: Other questions? Thank you, Ms. Brown.
18: Um, did you want to go over Council's budget?
0: Yeah, um, well, yes, I was just closing out oh, Chief okay. of <laughs> Yes, <laughs> if we could go to the next component, which would be our Council. So we have a City Council tab in our booklet.
18: Uh, council's budget is again relatively flat. Um, there was no increase in the operating budget. There was a slight increase in the personnel services budget by 11,000 to account for the 3% increase in, um, healthcare and retirement rate adjustments, um, so that is captured for the liaisons, um, but within the council's operating budget um, for the th- uh, $307,000, is mainly for the district funds, which is about $110,000. Um, the contract for the TV broadcasting is about 60000 and the lobbyist contract is about 69000 and the budget also includes the other 20000 for consulting services. And there is roughly about 13000 for conferences and conventions for council members. And $4,500 in employee training for liaisons or additionally council members, if they so wish.
0: Thank you, Ms. Brown. Council members, do we have questions?
4: I'm just looking for the sheet in my deck.
0: Okay, so if, if you behind city council tab in our booklet. Okay. Thank you. Uh, you. Questions? Ms. Gray.
3: So... I'd like to know. um, We're up to sixty-eight thousand for lobbying, sixty-nine somewhere, sixty-nine thousand, yes. Okay, and that's for the entire city. I'm just wondering why are. And this isn't a question you can answer. It's just rhetorical. But I saw an exchange that went back and forth on social media yesterday between the school's new newly hired lobbyist. And a news reporter. And it looks like they're spending 125,000 hours in salary plus benefits on lobbying services. And it's just curious to me whether or not anybody has questioned the justification for why schools needs a lobbyist, a full-time lobbyist, and whether or not other school divisions pay for such things i know that when i started we spent fifteen thousand dollars on the contract it grew when we tacked on to the city's contract to about forty eight thousand but has anyone sent you any information about that and does this school lobbyist work with the city firm at all
18: Um, I don't know if they – I know our lobbyist has spoken with the school's um, lobbyists just about, you know, education funding and what was in the um, General Assembly's budget, but I can't answer as to why they've elected to hire um, a lobbyist on their side. I can ask that question um, in our follow-up questions. Um, But I know our lobbyist works closely with the administration as well as us to make sure we're all on the same page. And um, so I can ask schools that question for you.
3: And with that, I know last year we left off that they did not want to contract with our auditor for their internal audits, that they were going to hire their own auditor. And as far as I can see to date, there's been no hiring of a school auditor. Is that your understanding as well? Um,
18: I have I have not seen, but I can um, follow up to see where that recruitment is on the school side.
3: Okay, I know
0: I'm getting off topic. I'm just, when she okay, said but, lobbyist. But, but, uh, but, uh, but to uh, follow up in the way that you're asking, uh, both the question relative to the auditor and to the lobbyist, um, if you could get back with those. Yeah, so it's fine. Yes. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Ms. Brown. Council members, uh, it appears that uh, we have um, accomplished our goal for the day, and so with that, this budget session is adjourned.